Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, that's right. Give me the finger. He just gave me the finger. So we are back in the bleachers. This is the Bleacher Blums podcast and video podcast, vodcast, blogcast, vladdycast. And check us out. We're repped. Look at us. We got swag. Our podcast is so cool. We got hats. He total repping the uh, camo hat. I've got the black and neon green working. Yes, man. I'm pretty good about myself. You look great, dude. You got the matching t-shirt and everything. I didn't even realize that my beer 30 shirt matches my hat. I got somebody that's working on my wardrobe. Now I just got to get a little, you know, a little makeup and, you know, something yeah, going dude. on. We actually need to have a beer 30 uh, podcast and just start drinking the middle of the afternoon and say, hey, that's it. That's how we're going to go. I haven't done that in a while, but we need to, for sure. That would actually be good. Get some craft beers and talk about them a little bit. I am Jeff Blum, co-host of Bleacher Blum's 14-year Major League veteran. Now I am currently working for the Houston Astros, the hated Houston Astros, and I am on their television broadcast, being that buffer between fanaticism and actual baseball in the field, and I'm having a blast doing it. I've got my buddy across the way out there in California, David Tuttle, 10 years in the minor leagues, traded a couple times for some big names, never got the break, but actually got to play for Team USA. Some pretty good stuff going on there. Tuttle, we already talked about how good you are looking. How are you actually doing, and how has the Tuttle household been this last week, man? Oh, it's been great. Um, You know, I think we finally finally got word. They were actually talking about putting the high schoolers back a little bit. They were going to say, hey, you're going to go in at January. We might do some activities. But uh, the school board, it's funny. I mean, they kept, they keep the parents abreast. I think the pitchforks, uh, the, the parents got the pitchforks and they were standing outside the, uh, the, the moat and the drawbridge and waiting for the king to say something. And uh, I think enough noise was made where we're going into school October 13th, it looks like, despite oh, wow. anything that Gavin Newsom or the board does. And it was funny the way the email came across. And, and I hope the podcast listeners don't fall asleep during this point, but <laughs> Cause it's so just relevant to us. Cause but, we've been uh, in school out here in Texas for weeks. For weeks. Yeah. You guys are already <laughs> having, you know, school and everything. But I think it was funny because they said, we're going to vote on Tuesday night, whether we're just going to have activities for high school and then have them come back January 1st. And then 12 hours later, the email came through said we were, we've removed agenda number 38 from the items to be discussed at the meeting tonight and high school starts October 13th. Wow. That was it. So basically, they, yeah, they pulled out the piece that we're not voting on this. We're just going to go for it. So uh, Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. Actually, So kind of, kind of exciting. I think the kids are more excited than, yeah. um, than anybody. And I think somebody made a really good case about how it's affecting the kids. And, and I know, oh, man. again, you know, uh, Joe Rogan just moved his studios to Austin and his first guest on nine 11 was, uh, Tim Kennedy and Tim Kennedy's a, a, a well-deserved and well-lauded um, like Navy SEAL and Special Forces guy and all this stuff. And he had him on for 9-11 and um, he gave Joe a gift of a, a brand new gun. And he goes, yeah, oh, here's man. a gun and we're going to go, they're going to go helicopter pig hunting. Oh, and you got to um, do that. Yeah, I've yet yeah. to do that, but I've heard stories. So he's got all the stuff in and I'm just thinking, yeah, again, this all circles back to Texas has been in school for months and we haven't. And <laughs> What's the end game? We don't know. And we don't want our kids passing it on to other people. But, uh, you know, the kids are being affected. We're being affected. And I think, I don't know if 
if normalcy wins out and science loses in this case. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's a long answer to the Tuttle household is doing well. We're hopefully going back to school here in the next two weeks and, uh, and maybe just some sense of normalcy um, that is few and far between in 2020, as you know, so. Yeah. Well, it would just be nice to create something new, even if it's, you know, I, new normal is kind of a weird, cause I mean, is it normal if it's new, you know what I mean? It's one of those things. <laughs> yeah. So you got to recreate and that's where I think that kind of recreate the new normal is make, make a little bit more sense. But I agree. There's got to be some kind of give, there's got to be some positivity, got to be some movement forward because it feels like for every step we took forward and take two steps back, especially everybody out there in California, trying to figure that thing out, but it, it's been a mess. And the only good news maybe out of that whole Corona COVID thing is the more people I hear in my circles that are getting COVID and that are actually not suffering severe symptoms and recovering. It's not fun. Yeah. It's miserable in some situations or it's, it's least invasive uh, or less invasive in other cases, but it seems that everybody is recovering from it and getting through it relatively okay, which is, I think, probably something that's pushing in the right direction. I don't well, know if you've heard anything or had any no, friends that it, had it. It just made me think of Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman got it and was worried about his kids and his family, and now he's hitting 379 for a 60-game season. Yeah, how quick so you forget, right? Yeah, you're like, he was like kind of worried about it because his temperature spiked, and now he's the guy that we were talking about might hit 400. So, I, it would be interesting to have someone like that, not just on the podcast, but to hear his thoughts and maybe he's talked about it on like, okay, he went through it. He survived it. And now he's having one of his best years uh, ever as a hitter. And obviously Atlanta's in the mix here in the playoffs. So relating it to baseball on the podcast, I just, you know, I do, I, I do the seesaw and I'm, I'm a Libra. So by nature, I like to balance things out, but it's kind of like, should we go back to normal? Like, let's go for it. And as we've said, there's no vaccine, there's no change, but man, what a, what a weird world. And, and I think, as you said, the new normal is almost an oxymoron, but I, I've always said this ever since I've had children, which is the only constant is change. You know, they get into, <laughs> a, true. They get into a sleeping pattern and they're not eating solid food and then they don't sleep and then they don't nap and then they eat solid food and then that changes. And then, you know, your kids get a driver's license as you're at the stage you're at. And then you know, they, they go through puberty. I mean, like the only constant in life has changed. So we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But I'm with you. Whatever this new normal, this constant change thing is, uh, we're ready for it. And uh, and, and yeah. to bring it back to baseball, man, Freddie Freeman, like, isn't <laughs> he? Isn't he? It was 372 or 379, and he had COVID in spring training. Yeah, and now he's gonna probably gonna get some MVP votes. Um, but uh, just real quick, you know, Tuttle's kind of talking about you got to be ready for anything in this world of change, and it's almost as if you've got to be in that three-point stance in basketball. You got to be ready for the for the dribble. You got to be ready for the drive. You got to be ready for the jumper. You know, that's how I kind of feel that we're in this COVID era because and with the whole change going on and adapting and adjusting. Or if you really want a good movie, go watch Heartbreak Ridge. Ooh, and, uh, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood going to get adapt, improvise, overcome, you know, I mean, it's, it's a cheesy movie. It's a mm. cheesy line, but it makes a damn world of sense. And, uh, the, the more triple you know, threat position, baby, that's your favorite. That's exactly right, man. And that's all you can do is be ready. Uh, and it, I mean, shoot, be ready for the, you know, it's always like when we turn double plays, my infield coach, Perry Hill would go expect the bad throw that way. If something good happens, 
you're just excited and more ready for it than ever. <laughs> so I think we're all just ready for the bad hop every day. And and just to piggyback on that, we could just we could talk about this all day. This is great. Is uh, you know, there's I, I'm an optimist by nature. My wife tends to be a pessimist. Oh man, if funny. anybody's listened to this podcast, you need to know something about Tuttle. He is the optimist in the all group. Right. That is for sure. I am maybe annoyingly optimistic, <laughs> and my wife might say that uh, more than once. But I will say it's funny because I looked up optimist quotes and pessimist quotes, and you start hearing this stuff. And the one quote that sticks with me, you just you just basically said. Um, you know, like Perry used to tell you, expect a bad throw because the good one will, you know, be easy to handle. Uh, my wife would say the same, but there's a quote that says, it's actually better to go through life being a pessimist. That way you're always <laughs> expecting the worst thing. Like, oh yeah, I knew that you're was going to happen. I knew that was going to happen. Totally and then when it doesn't happen, you're like pleasantly surprised. You're like, yes, like that's great. So you're, there is an argument for being a pessimist because if the worst thing happens, you're like, yep, I knew that was going to happen. But if yeah. something better happens, you're like, there's a silver lining on it all. <laughs> that's hilarious. You could be a pessimist. optimist <laughs> That's another new word on Bleacher right. Blums. Pessoptimist. Oh, man. Let's come up with a way to... Well, I, I tell you what, you're getting a little bit of in, more insight than I think even we anticipated into some of the personality of us and the parenting and, and what we're dealing with on a daily basis. And I know that a lot of you know that we are ex-athletes. I just mentioned that Tuttle played 10 years in minor league baseball. He also plays basketball. We, and, and he's a CrossFit guy. So myself also, I like to work out. I like to stay in shape. I'm trying to play some golf and get out there and stay active. But one of the things I've noticed since retiring is that, you know, the, the, the dependency on Advil is still there. I'm trying to get rid of that. And there's actually something that we have really exciting to tell everybody. And I hope that everybody listening is excited about this too, because I have, I've known about this company since March and I've done my research and I'm sure you too, you have two Tuttle and, and it's in the, in the world of CBD, you know, that, that taboo world of using, uh, you know, marijuana or cannabis to, to produce something uh, healthy and they've actually done a very good job in, you know, getting the CBD out of there. Uh, the cannabinoids, I the think. T the, THC. The yeah, get the THC out of there and use the can yeah. cannabinoids or something like yeah. there's a big word Canna in there. CBD, cannab cannab cannabinoids, that's what it there is. There we go, cannabinoids. There. Easy but, for you to say. I know, the whole thing for me has been like pain management, you know, a couple of knee surgeries, elbow surgeries, mm -hmm. and then the, just the constant uh, pounding over 14 years. How do you, how do you manage the pain? Uh, how do you recover and things like that? So CBD has been one of those things that's kind of intrigued me a little bit over the years. And I've done some research and I found this company and we are actually going to work together. So I'm actually telling everybody right now on Bleacher Blums that we have a title sponsor. When you tune into Bleacher Blums, you are going to hear about world's strongest man cbd and i think it's only fitting that the world's strongest man is attached to it because that is the idea of this cbd company they're based out of kentucky and they really pride themselves on getting the purest form of cbd to you tuttle and i have got some of the product in our hands and i'm enjoying it i've been on it a little bit longer than tuttle because i've been the guinea pig and now tuttle's got his own product <laughs> but uh they are going to be sponsoring our podcast for a while uh in the future here so we're kind of excited about that but i just wanted to tell you a little bit about them because i talked about the purity of the cbd and their big thing is farm to shelf so everything you are getting is not going through a middleman they have done a great job of keeping the purity of the CBD. They've adjusted the dosages to be a little bit better for you. And I can attest that I've been taking the soft gels and the tinctures. Uh, I take the soft gel in the morning, a little more focused, a little more awake, a little more loose, less anxious. And then at night I've been taking the tincture and I've actually been sleeping pretty well with the tinctures at night. 
and waking up and refreshed. But I know that Tuttle, uh, this is big news for us because it helps the podcast keep going and bringing it to the fans. But at the same time, hey, a little bit of product never hurt, man. No, that's right. And uh, you did talk about being the guinea pig for it. I was excited about it. This is something that's kind of been uh, on the back burner, at least behind the scenes for a while. And uh, CBD is big now in the CrossFit world. Um, and you mentioned like pain management. I've been doing CrossFit for about seven to eight years. And the nutrition piece is another thing. I know a guy that owns yeah. um, um, nutrition zones out here. And he talks about all the nutrition powders that you get at, um, say, your like, uh, I guess, nutrition zone store or your... Uh, what's the Vita place, like the vitamin world place. Yeah, and, just a and vitamin it, shop too. I think it's just yeah, vitamin shop. Anytime yeah. you go there, but he said that most of those 90% of those protein powders are all made in the same, uh, in industrial like oh, wow. places. Yeah. Because people don't take the time. They're like, Oh yeah, we just want the whey powder. We want this, they want that. And they put a lot of preservatives in it. And that farm to shelf, um, mentality has come into CrossFit in the past few years in terms of the protein powders. Oh. Like these individual companies are actually, you know, they're growing their own um, stuff and they're extracting their own product. And I think this just fits really well into that because I use a company out of um, Oceanside um, for uh, for my protein powders because of the same reason. Oh, and wow. so this world's greatest man, um, CBD is right along aligned with my personal views and my personal thoughts about how to get the best product anyway. And that's, as you said, eliminate the middleman, have less, uh, you know, fingers in the pie or fingers in the pot. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I have been using the cooling gel. Uh, I've oh, used yeah. the tinctures, but it's been only a couple days, but the cooling gel, we did uh, a bunch of squats yesterday and I put that cooling gel on both my knees and I was like, Oh man, this stuff feels great. So, um, I'm really excited to kind of continue to, to work with them and to come back and give you some results. But um, as many folks probably know about the, uh, the CrossFit environment, I mean, the, the workouts can be grueling, um, yeah. especially on these old raggedy bodies and, uh, and <laughs> anything I can do to, as you said, get off kind of the Advil train or the ibuprofen train, but also yeah. um, support a company that supports things that we believe in. And, and we're really excited to be, as you said, working with World's Strongest Man CBD. Yeah, and we'll actually have some interviews later in future podcasts also talking about the CBD, the process, what it means to the people who are taking it. And then I tell you what, I'm going to abuse the ability to maybe get one of the world's strongest men on this podcast because I think that would be a blast to have a conversation with somebody who competes in that arena of just brute strength. And then we could talk about how much stronger they are than, uh, than Tuttle. I think that'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would be a lot of fun. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, this will take us off track a little bit, but I was just going to say yesterday we were talking about, I mean, you know, you're, you're a big guy, you're six, three, you know, 200 pounds, switch hitter, like all this, you know, I'm, I was six, three skinny, you know, 190 pounds, but you know, I think my body was certainly um, geared more to throw a baseball or spike a volleyball or swim you know, people would mistake you for swimmers, maybe even nobody ever mistakes me for a basketball player, but, uh, but, you know, tall enough to be in that realm. And, uh, and anyway, it's really funny to have a world's strongest man. We were talking about CrossFit, like most CrossFit athletes are about five, eight, like two ten. you know, they look like your, yeah, they look like your bowling ball, or your fire hydrant. <laughs> and so I think to your point, I mean, many different people can benefit from the product, but also many different types of uh, people walk the earth and do different things. And I think having somebody on, not just related to us kind of recovering from injuries or like past surgeries to hear how this is benefiting somebody who's kind of at peak level of performance, yeah, true. And how they utilize it. Um, you know, I think the the motto is right. Like to, to bring out the elite athlete in all of us. So let's see, uh, let's see what this stuff does. 
Yeah, I'm with you. And everybody can go to WSMCBD.com and they will take 20% off your order right now. If you go to WSMCBD.com, go shopping, take 20% off of, and you'll be out of there and you can use that or you can go there up until September 30th to get that 20% off. Uh, you can go there and I mean, they've got creams, lotions, tinctures, muscle salve, and the soft gels that you take orally. So a lot of good stuff there. Uh, What's on tap is going to be brought to you by St. Arnold, as long as we talk about some great sponsors that we've had for a while now. St. Arnold Brewing Company out here in uh, Houston, Texas, the oldest craft brewery in Texas. Uh, We're going to talk Major League Baseball, PGA, some NFL. And when I say NFL, it probably mostly means fantasy football for those of us who know us pretty well. But I think we're going to get it right into the meat of it. And I I came up with an idea for like the meat of our podcast. I'm going to call it the sweet spot. (laughs) <laughs> for the time being there we and go that's brought to you by crusty tees where you can go find a, a nice bleacher blums lid or you can go to bleacherblums.com and check us out and uh, get some of that swag tuttle by the time fans are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast on the social nostra network it will be my last weekend of work major league baseball wraps up this weekend it has been a treacherous uh, labyrinth of labor for these guys to go out there and play the game of baseball. And it is almost over just your initial feelings on actually knowing that a season is ending as it just felt it got going. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that about the entire world at this point, but, uh, but <laughs> yeah, I think the year's ending too. I was going to yeah, bring that up like, in the end. Yeah. It's uh it's unusual. And I think maybe a lot of that's just entrenched in our brain because we know baseball, the 162 game season, the grind, and uh, this one just seemed to be like, snap your fingers and be done. And I know you feel the same way being a broadcaster mm-hmm. and not having to travel and, you know, not having some of the same access and some of the same kind of uh, feeling as a normal baseball season. And we did earlier mention the new normal or the only constant has changed. And I think it's interesting to kind of be at this point thinking that, all right, next year, everything gets back to normal. And there's really no guarantee for that. And, and we talked about the playoff structure. I will say I'm really excited about this playoff structure um, I, I mean, this season, Eric, yeah, yeah, this season. Well, yeah. And you know, next season, I know we've, yeah, we're, that we can iron a, that out later, but for the time being, I think we both enjoy the idea of this playoff situation. Yes. I mean, and especially in, <laughs> yes, well, we can leave it at that. The American league is pretty much set. I know there's a couple little, um, uh, I don't know, little, uh, teams maybe in the mix. I think yesterday I heard a, a stat that the angels were the first team to get to their under or their win total, like under, because they can't win that many games. They were the first team to get there, um, meaning they wouldn't be playoff ready. But somebody said that mathematically up until yesterday, the Angels were uh, eligible to get into the playoffs. They're still in it. Okay. Mathematically, they're that. still in it. Okay. Yeah. So it's, the it's Angels are still in about. it. And they basically got the, the, the team, the first one to hit the under, meaning they yeah. were not going to be able to They're not going to finish it 500 or better. Exactly. And they could so, still possibly make it in. That's what's bizarre. That And that part, and I think that's where, I know we already said we table it. If you get into a situation like that next year, and I realize that that's what your gripe would be most likely <laughs> is that these teams are not um, valid teams or not, you know, they didn't, they didn't go through the gauntlet to get there and now they're in. But yeah. man, as a Giants fan, and we touched on this last podcast, I mean, they have a really good shot to get in. And there's about, I don't know, 11 teams eligible for eight spots and they are yeah. getting it out. They're all within a game and a half. So to your point, I can't believe how quickly the season went and we knew it was going to be a, a, a sprint and not a marathon, but this sprint is turning into an exciting finish. And as you said, when the podcast comes out, you know, 
maybe none of these things will be decided even then. Yeah, I know that's what's crazy. And I'm glad you brought up the playoff picture because that's immediately what we have to start thinking about as quick as the season is over. And I agree with you. You know, in the West, the Dodgers and Padres are the two best teams, but you're right. The Giants might sneak in there as a wild card and nothing would probably give Tuttle more more <laughs> joy than to see the Giants match up with the Dodgers in that first round of the playoffs because a three-game series, literally anything can happen. Yeah. And uh, wouldn't it be great to ruin the efforts of the Dodgers after they've won their eighth straight National League West title. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Padres are going back to the playoffs for the first time since 2006. Guess who was their starting shortstop in the playoffs that year? Jeff Blum. What? Yeah. How about that? That's how long it's been since the <laughs> Padres have been in the playoffs. So they're yeah. in, and you're right. There are, there's eight, I think there's eight spots, 11 teams vying for it. It's been highly entertaining except for the American League West, which I'm going to say it right here, and I'm not sure if I've said it on a, on a broadcast or podcast, but it might be the worst baseball division in baseball. I don't think it's been highly exciting with uh, what the A's have done, and they've had great pitching, but they have one of the worst offenses in the league. And then you have the Astros who are limping in, who just are just trying – I don't know if they're trying to get in or trying to get out – the way they've been playing because uh, they've lost two or three to the Seattle Mariners up to this point. They finished the weekend with the Texas Rangers who are, are, are the worst team in the American league. And hopefully they can take three or four, three, if not four from them and get into the playoffs and have a little bit of momentum. But you talked about the angels and that's kind of where we're at right now. So as this weekend sets up, the angels will be playing the Dodgers who have already clinched and are trying to set up the rotation, rest their guys. Possibly the Astros are playing the Rangers where they need to just beat up on them, win games, take control and get to the playoffs. What happens if the Dodgers tank for the angels and the Astros falter? Is that a possibility? Do you think? Of course it is. Oh man, you're going in on my conspiracy theory. I'm not. So no, 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 no. I, I a little bit. I'm not advocating that the Dodgers are going to tank. <laughs> Me neither. No, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying but, that they lose, they're like, Meh, yeah, all right. yeah, right. I totally. I, why wouldn't they? Like, hey, let's bring up Johnny. You know, Johnny uh, Lelouch, right? Let's bring up. Yeah, let's bring up the <laughs> prospect extraordinaire. He wants to get a little big league time in. We've seen it with all the other teams, right? Mm-hmm. So let's bring up Maybe our 21 year old Cena. You know, yeah. You know, and Trout, you know, teaches him a thing or two, as does Rendon. And all of a sudden, the Angels get some momentum and they might win three out of four or four out of four. And, you know, that would be the most insane thing ever. It it would for you guys, especially. But you you can attest this being a former ball player. And I mean, we don't talk about this in my resume, but we won three uh, minor league championships. So I won a double A championship in the Texas League. I won a Cal League championship and we won a Carolina League championship. And I just know that the thread for being on those type of teams. And you could certainly have a little more um, cachet in this realm than I do winning a world series in 2005, but you get on these teams on occasion. And I've had a good fortune of being on a few where the guys just love each other and they just care about each other. And the chemistry Mm -hmm. in the clubhouse is so good. And these aren't people that you necessarily go have a beer with every day, but man, there's that feeling. And, And what I found, especially in the minor leagues, because it was a promotion based system is if you won the first half championship, say you won the first half championship and then they promoted like two or three guys to double A or to triple A, your team was different in the second half. And you kind of were like, oh yeah, well, we're in the playoffs. But it was the team that came in hot with the good chemistry that pretty much won the series and won the championship because that's how things get done. And I think to your point, 
I don't know if a four-game series with the Rangers is going to get them hot enough and get the Astros uh, well enough and confident enough to, to do any damage in the playoffs anyway. And so it's funny because as fans, and hopefully the people that listen to this podcast can take a, a nugget out of this comment, I mean, if they limp into the playoffs, do you really expect them to win the World Series? Like, I mean, you know, isn't it like championship or bust? Like, would you rather yeah. have, I mean, Verlander's having, you know, Tommy John, as you mentioned, um, off the air. And I, I just, um, you know, Jordan isn't, Jordan isn't around. I, I just think limping into the playoffs is never a good place to be. And the Astros fans for sure should uh, temper their expectations to say the least. Yeah, I agree. And it's going to be an interesting situation. In our next podcast, we will probably, we will be talking about that first round of the playoffs because everything will be ironed out by this weekend, which I cannot wait for. It's going to be very interesting, and the storylines will abound. But again, not having fans in the stands is having a huge effect. Uh, stay tuned on that one because I got something to say at the end of this podcast for all you fans that uh, we greatly appreciate, not just in the bleachers when you're hanging out with us, but I know that the guys on the field are having issues not having everybody in the stands. But one thing that happened this week also was the U.S. Open, and we had our big U.S. Open uh, preview show, and guess who's an idiot? This guy. So JT didn't do much, Justin Thomas, and I don't even think Tommy, Tommy Flunkwood didn't even make the cut. Uh, he, he took the early flight to the next tournament to figure himself out, but it, it went south for me in a hurry. And how about it? Bryson DeChambeau bombed him, himself into that U.S. Open championship, winning it by six. He was the only one to finish uh, subpar. Everybody else was at even or greater, and DeChambeau shoved it all up our cans and showed us who was boss with the power. He did. And, um, you know, I will not necessarily point the finger at me, but, uh, I mean, <laughs> nobody knew. I mean, basically the, the sentiment on our, on, our, uh, on our podcast last week was that DeChambeau has the game. He's a stud. He's changing the game with the length that he's hitting the ball. Absolutely. But he didn't have between the years. He didn't have the mentality and the, uh, the composure to actually get it done. And we saw JT started out hot at five under. Um, my pick was Reed, Patrick Reed, who I don't like, but I thought he had the mental makeup. He made it into the third day. He was two under, three under, and he looked like, all right. It looked like I knew what I was talking about with my dark horse. <laughs> and uh, then he faltered as well. And basically the last three or four guys in there, were guys that we haven't heard of or talked about a whole lot, except for DeChambeau. And I thought the other insightful thing, I watched the end of that tournament, um, mm -hmm. and I'm sure you did as well, was, uh, was it uh, Azinger said a couple of times, you know, I guess ESPN had put out that thing way back when in 2016 about how this kid's changing the game and he's into the science of it and all his clubs mm -hmm. are the same length. I mean, that's all been well-documented. Totally but bucking a the trend, yeah, big yeah, time. Yeah, but Azinger was just saying like, it's time for us to recognize what he's done. He stayed the course. He did this. But I thought what was interesting is, and I don't know if this was his strategy at the beginning, but DeChambeau didn't really change his game as much for the U.S. Open. He basically said, look, these roughs are terrible. So we're going to hit it as far as humanly possible. And then I just have an eight iron or a nine iron or a wedge out of this rough versus, as we said for everybody else, maybe a five iron or a six iron yeah. or a seven iron. And I think that's ultimately what made the difference. I, I mean, you know, it, we all thought he was going to change his game, but that length helped him. No, 100%. I completely agree with you. I think it was more a philosophy than changing the game. He just said, I'm a long hitter. I'm better when I'm closer to the green. So he went out there and started smashing golf balls. And like you said, 
you know, hit, you know, when he, as far as he hits the ball, it turns it into a lob wedge, pitching wedge, nine iron into the green. And if he's able to get to the ball in the rough, he's strong enough to make contact and shoot that thing out of there. But also with the elevation, land it softly on the green. And that looked like what was working for him. Um, I thought it was truly amazing that he just kind of said, F it. I'm going to go for it and drop bombs because I think the further he, the closer he gets to the green, the margin of error for him shrinks a little bit because of that lower iron that he has to hit. But I think he pretty much proved that he's the only guy on tour that could actually have that philosophy and execute it too. Right. Yeah. DJ is the other guy who I always think of from a length perspective, but again, mm -hmm. his challenge has always either been the putter or maybe something between his ears as well. He seems to have had it straightened out. But, um, but, you know, he fell off as well. And that's the other thing we have to um, remember. Like, the, just because DeChambeau wins doesn't mean his golf game is justified and he's the greatest guy of all time. I mean, tournaments, they're ebbs and flows. These guys play every week. And, you know, he's been hot this year, just like JT has. But, you know, JT started out five under after day one. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean JT's got to go back and reinvent the wheel either. It's just about consistency, as we know. And I think you brought up a really good point that I don't often think about um, now that I'm out of baseball, but there was always that fine line between working to your strengths and the other guy's weaknesses, right? You're standing yeah. on the mound and you got this hitter who's crowding the plate and you know, you want to get in under his hands, but you just can't keep going in under his hands. He's going <laughs> to make the adjustment. So then you have to adjust from that. And I think that's exactly what you said. Like DeChambeau said, these are my strengths. This is how it plays on this course. I don't think he went hell or high water. I'm just going to hit it long. But, you know, there is that delicate balance. Like, all right, because my length is one of my strengths, I'm not going to change my whole golf game just because winged foot is crazy. And I think we've seen that in professional sports over time, right? There was times when you went with your strengths up against oh, yeah. the pitcher. And there's times when you're like, look, I don't, I can't see his fastball. I'm going to wait until he throws me a changeup. If he doesn't throw me a changeup, then 100%. guess what? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, it's like, it's like going out there and practicing to hit nasty. Guess yeah. what nasty is? Nasty's nasty. <laughs> You're not going to go out and make a living off hitting nasty. You're going out there making a living on mistakes. Yeah. But if I can create my strength to be a little more consistent, then I'm going to try and put myself in that scenario. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Bingo. All right. So DeChambeau went out there and crushed it. It was a lot of fun to watch him do that. I hope that he continues. And there's a great article in The Athletic. Uh, we won't go into depth on, in, in depth on it, but there's a great article in The Athletic. Oh, man. I wish I paused Nez, Neznik. I can't remember the guy's last name, but he wrote a great article comparing, and Houston fans will love this, DeChambeau to James Harden. Uh, there's a couple of great quotes in there and great similarities in comparison of game and what they're actually doing to their sport uh, that I, I find highly intriguing. So go ahead and check that out at The Athletic. Um, NFL this past week, game, week two is over, and guess what? <sighs> Tom Brady won a game. Who would have thought? What an, American, okay. what an American dream come true to have Tom Brady come back and win a football game. So uh, football's back in full swing. The injuries, dude. Oh, my gosh. That was more shocking than having Tom Brady actually bounce, have a bounce back week. The injuries across the NFL have been unbelievable. Uh, the McCaffrey one might be the only one that gives us hope because it went from two to four weeks to four to six that he'll be back. Still a long time. But, man. ACLs going out left and right all over the place. It was disastrous. Yeah, you know, we talked about this. So, hey, you talk no. about being, you know, getting your Get crystal in the bleachers ball. bleachers and listen and we, up. That's right. So, I mean, at least five or six podcasts ago, and maybe we've touched on it day, back and forth, we talked about the contact 
the violence that's associated with football that's not in baseball. We've seen, you know, Verlander's going under the knife, and I know we're going to touch on that, but Tommy John, like, we've seen some tweaks and some injuries. Uh, Freed just went down for Atlanta with a twisted ankle. Man, and yeah. There's definitely some effect there. But football, I said this, you know, if you're only going to have 53 guys on the roster and you don't have a full training camp and you can't cut guys, these guys are running into each other, you're going to see injuries. And I also think, and, you know, not to be the contrarian, but I also think, and you know this too, you can't go at things half-assed in any sport, but football more so. And some of their techniques, like Bosa's got his knee turned, the, uh, the 49ers Bosa, not the Chargers Bosa. He got his knee turned kind of like on a chop block or he got folded back. And, you know, part of that comes with, hey, these guys, the technique and what they've been working on in practice isn't refined either. Like, mm-hmm. you know, guys know when to pull up and guys know when to, you know, crush guys and they know what they're feeling as the line pushes down or the line pushes that mm-hmm. way. Well, all of those skills need fine tuning. And if they didn't have enough preseason and they didn't have enough contact to fine tune those, um, those skill sets, even though they're professionals, I think that's affecting it as well. And you mentioned like Bosa's knee and Barkley's knee. And I mean, most are, I have on my fantasy football team, high ankle sprain. I think we're going to continue to see this trend. It's, fortunately or unfortunately in this fantasy football world it's when the barclays and the mccaffrey's go down you know that we're like oh my god that's crazy but when it's all these other guys i mean the laundry list is super long that we're kind of like ah well that guy's a lineman he's a so-and-so like as a fan how about about a broken rib to a punctured lung oh chargers that's right tyrod taylor and then the coach says oh yeah tyrod's our starter after a herbert goes out and throws for 300 yards what right basically here is failure to communicate how does Uh, the head coach say that knowing the guy just got his lung stabbed yeah cool hand loose man i mean (laughs) i don't and and why not support herbert because you've drafted him be the future anyway so yeah Yeah. give tyrod the hey he's our starter as long as he's our starter but don't don't make it sound like Herbert got lucky against the Chiefs. Like, hey. Yeah, there's a reason they picked him number one. They were excited about it, too. Yeah, yeah. So he had a great game. But anyway, back to the injury thing. I think we could have all foreseen this. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's coming to fruition. And, and as yeah. crazy as we are about the NFL, fantasy football, that stuff, um, you know, it's disheartening and disappointing. But I don't think that trend is going to uh, diminish at all. No, dude, it's week two. There's still 16 more weeks to go. I mean, who knows what can happen, but hopefully these guys develop a little bit more consistency and strength as they get along. But, man, it was a little frightening to see that in week two. Tuttle, I'm 2-0. 2-0. Oh, and oh. I thought you were going to go there. I was going to change the subject. 2-0. and oh. yeah. My fantasy football team is numero uno in the league yeah. with and score. And you, you got rid of your dead weight. We, we mentioned a couple of podcasts ago. We were partners last year, and I think we were 2-0. and oh, And this year, you got rid of me, and I'm 1-1. One and one. You scored I a ton of say, points, though, man. You got hosed. I got I to gotta toot my own horn. I was probably like the third most points in the, in <laughs> yeah. the league, and I got, a, I got an L. So uh, Rich's team, I think he won the championship last year. So Rich, you, me, we're all kind of in the mix with points. Mm-hmm. So um, – so it was it was a little interesting there down at down at the end, but uh, hey, you have bragging rights until you lose, and you certainly have bragging rights until you uh, get knocked out of first place. And so, you know, it's a long season, sixteen right. games. It is. I got to remind myself of that. But for right now, I'm riding the high horse. Hoo-hoo. Two and up. How about so, that? We had we something. Else, we had something else on the list, um, and I think it's uh, apropos because we had talked about um, having that special podcast with Tom Seaver and. Lou Brock, but uh, Gail Sayers passed away this week. And I wanted to say that Gail Sayers 
was my dad's. This is again, my dad's thing, like the Tom Seaver thing. Oh, look at you with your Bears helmet. I was, uh, yeah, I'll tell you a story about this. I was going to say, I was going to say, I bet you have a story about him and I bet you got to meet him at some sort of function in Chicago and I want to hear it. I just want to finish up by saying my dad had two guys that he loved more than anything. My dad grew up in Cleveland and then moved to Chicago when he was young um, and went to uh, kind of just grew up outside of Chicago. So went to college in Cleveland, grew up outside of Chicago, love Midwest guys, Jim Brown Ooh, and Gail man. Sayers. So he said Jim Brown and Jim Brown's another one that's kind of, you know, yeah, he's alive. So thank God. But he, Jim Brown was one of those guys that now he gets lost in these discussions, like with mm-hmm. who is the greatest. And we always compare eras. Like, was it Kareem? Was it Shaq? Was it these guys? My dad said watching Jim Brown run at like 220 pounds, like the linemen were 210 or 220 back then. Yeah. was a man among boys. And we don't see that very often now. Like Derrick Henry's probably close to that, but the linebackers Mm -hmm. are 6'3", 240, and they run a 4'4". So he said watching Jim Brown play running back and do what he did was like very similar to what you just said about DeChambeau changing the game. It was like watching a new era unfold. And then Gale Sayers came along. And I believe Gale Sayers still has the – um, somebody may have tied him for most touchdowns in a game. It was six touchdowns. That's right. But Gale Sayers did like a punt return, a kick return. <laughs> he caught a pass in the flat and he had a run, a running touchdown. I mean, like he scored a touchdown in all ways you could score a touchdown in one game. And my dad was like, dude, this guy is changing the game. He's legitimate. And similar to Sandy Koufax, I think his career was a little shortened yeah. by some injuries and things like that. Cause if we had gotten to see him longer than seven, eight, nine years in the NFL. I think Gail Sayers would be talked about in a different light. But when I saw him passing away, um, I just, my, the first thing I thought of was Jim Brown. And then we've been talking about how guys changed the game. And Gail Sayers oh. definitely did that. No, he did. And watching some of those videos, I mean, they always pop up and you're still in astonishment. No matter, no matter how many times I watched him run on NFL films, you just sit there going, my God. But you're right. Jim Brown was a guy that would smash into people. Earl Campbell was a guy that would smash into people. But then watching video of Gail Sayers, you know, made me think uh, three words came up, elegant, powerful, and elusive. Cause this guy made running look smooth. He got around edges. He could read the tackler before he even got to him. So he barely made contact with some of these guys and would spin out of some of these tackles. But the true power is once he got into that open field and watching him, even in that, you know, eight millimeter film, all of a sudden you just see the separation as he gets by guys and continues to go. So it was a lot of fun. And if you've ever seen the movie Brian's Song, uh, you know, you know that oh, Gale yeah. Sayers is a pretty legit dude and had, had a great demeanor about him. But uh, I've been able to go on some autograph shows around the country uh, in Chicago, you know, in L.A., in Houston, things like that. But uh, I have, you know, a handful of memorabilia in my house and that are actually on display that I'm actually extremely proud of or like to tell people, hey, I met this guy. And Gale Sayers was one of those guys just a gentleman at heart. So I've got uh, my Ooh. mini Chicago Bears helmet signed by Gail Sayers on there. You actually uh, have Gail Sayers on there. I saw you had a bear helmet. I, who no, knew? dude. No, that's one of those things where, you know, we talk, maybe we should talk about it someday when we meet, you know, if we've ever met somebody famous who kind of humbles you a little bit or you get a little awestruck in front of, you know, he, he was one of those guys where you're just like, Mr. Sayers, could you please sign any where are you from? How are you doing? What are you doing? How did you get in here? Why are you backstage? You know, you know, and he's like, oh, ball player, that's awesome. And all of a sudden you start talking and you just, you know, half an hour later, you forget you have the helmet in your hand. And you're like, oh, yeah, could you sign this? So uh, I, I appreciate you bringing up Gail Sayers. And I'm sure a lot of fans out there do, too, that have watched football for years and appreciate what he brought to the game. 
Yeah, no, it was, I, I just, uh, I just, again, you know, the, the, the more guys that, you know, as we get older and they get older, the more guys that, um, you know, that, that move on from this world, uh, just kind of, yeah. you know, just those memories just hit you really quickly. So they really do, man. It's nostalgic. Speaking of nostalgia, it's your turn. What'll Tuttle say? Is this nostalgic? I have no idea, but maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe it will be. Maybe it will be exactly, folks. In fifty years, when the Bleacher Blums podcast is, uh, you know, in the rearview mirror, then maybe uh, it'll be nostalgic. But uh, I wanted to touch on something that I kind of touched on last week, and you had mentioned that you might even throw it in the broadcast. But I have a little deeper thought around it, and I thought, man, when you jumped on the thought, I kind of, I, I started thinking about it a little deeper and deeper. And um, the thought was, I said, injuries are like turnovers. Um, that, you know, keep on happening. So we talk all the time about turn, uh, turnovers in football, like, oh, yeah, the team that had three turnovers versus the team that had one turnover, those three turnovers, the chances of that team winning that game go from, you know, 50% all the way down to like 3%, something like that. And I was just yeah. thinking, you know, with injuries, especially with this 60 game season in baseball, we should look at how those are affecting teams. You just brought up Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, and we know how skilled they are and, you know, how their teams will be affected. But in many ways, it's like a turnover, um, except it's, except it keeps happening week by week. Like it's almost mm -hmm. like you should say, well, Christian McCaffrey's out this week. So the Panthers are starting like with two turnovers, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's zero turnovers to two yeah. turnovers. They're handicapped from the beginning. And I actually, the step that I wanted to take and mention in baseball and I know they consider this and we've talked about money ball in depth, but my thought was GM should start looking at this a little deeper. And I know people hand them pieces of paper and hand them numbers. And we've criticized uh, like Artie Moreno stepping in sometimes to get like Albert Pujols as he's like, you know, he's going to have a walker <laughs> by the time his contract's up. And, you know, that's great. Albert Pujols is a great guy, great hitter. He's done a lot for the game. You mentioned this week he passed Willie Mays, I mean, on the all-time home run list, like, mm -hmm. or last week. I mean, it's fantastic what he's done. But if you're a smart GM, I think you probably have to start considering, like, some of the injury histories and ages of these guys. And I know they would tell you that they do. They've got you just that, yeah. But I there's got to be a going. stat, right? We keep talking about yeah. newfangled stats and analytics. Like, why keep signing a guy who's been injured? You know, he's, yeah, he's, he's an A player for 66 or 70% of the season, and he's done that three seasons in a row. You can't sign that guy if you're well, planning on doing – how much is it worth? Right, how much is it worth? So that risk value or that cost value analysis. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, I think – I believe me, I, I don't think this is revelatory. I don't think some GMs listening to the podcast going, oh, a Tuttle guy, that's brilliant. Like, we never freaking thought of that. Like, no, it's not that. But mm -hmm. as a as a layperson, as a fan of either football or baseball or whatever, you start looking at this and you're like, man, that dude is always hurt. And you know guys in the clubhouse that were like, ah, you know, I, I, I have a hangnail so I can't pitch tonight or, you know, <laughs> this cracked. And you know guys like that and you know yeah. their reputation. But, you know, I mean, the Yankees have pitching – their pitching staff issues. Um, they had – um the guy that was closing a couple years ago at the back end of that bullpen. Um, uh, Batances sorry, was back. Batances, the, Dylan Batances. The Mets. Yeah. yeah, but I'm just saying they had guys like that. Well, and the Yankees probably got rid of him because he was getting hurt too Yeah, much. they probably like, gave up on him after they got done with club control. You're right. That's right. That's exactly what happened. But, you know, you have these guys that are, you know, he was hurt. He was hurt and he got hurt on a hangnail and hurt on, you know, he tripped over his shoe and he got hurt and he got hurt. And it was kind of like some people follow through with these guys and, uh, 
you know, I just, I don't know. I wish I'd provide a little more depth in what will Tuttle say about that, but I'm sure you have some. No, I think it's a big deal. Statistics around this, but we, I think GMs need to get their ear to the ground, get in the clubhouse and talk about the mentality that some of these guys have because guys talk about bulldogs. You know, I don't think Bregman is having the kind of year he wants, but you know, he pulled his hamstring and he said, dude, nobody's ever going to question whether he wants to be on the field and whether he wants to beat your ass or not. And I think that those are the kind of guys you got to have in your clubhouse. And we've seen guys with, you know, universal talent that have kind of a soft outer shell. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, if we're going to go with the premise that injuries are like turnovers kind of week after week, you've got to build a tough team next man up mentality and just get a bunch of scrappers in there and see if you can't make, um, make your team better. Yeah. Injury is a big thing in this day and age with analytics, the amount of money that these guys are making, you know, it's paramount that they stay on the field. And then there's times too, where the agent goes, Hey, if you're not hundred percent and you're not going to put up the numbers that we need you to do to get paid, don't play. So, I mean, that's another side of that mentality that I think has kind of crept into the game, but that could be an entire podcast talking about the injuries and the mentality and how to deal with it, um, how it affects guys. But uh, to your point, you know, many people don't know that there is actually, you know, in the analytic department, there are health analytics. You're hearing a little bit about it this year with the Astros because George Springer sat a couple days ago because they said he ran too hard a couple days before and they're trying to protect him because he's getting into this area where he might break down. And baseball is one of those uh, sports where you're playing 162 games. Like we just said, the more you're on the field, the better your team is, the more money you're going to make. So how do you create or increase the opportunities of having those guys on the field and escalating your win probability? And they actually do have algorithms that, you know, how far was the run from the dugout to left field in Oakland? Uh, how, many time, how many total bases does he have in the last week? How many stolen bases, you know, how many, you know, how many diving plays did this guy make? All those things kind of factor in there to kind of figure out where this guy is in order to keep him healthy. But ultimately it's on the athlete to be prepared. Yeah. Let me be clear. That's not the stuff I'm talking about. I mean, it is, but man, that's when I think, all right, analytics has gone too far over the edge in the sense mm-hmm. that, yeah, the GM. No matter gets how his, hot you are, I'm going to sit you down because the numbers say. Exactly. I mean, that, just doesn't make, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the athlete would disagree <laughs> with that. This is more like the read between the lines thing, um, as this is where the analytics and the, as we've talked about before, the eyeball test kind of meet, mm-hmm. is that you can get in there. I can tell you, you play with guys. Like, I can tell you which guy's tough and which guy wants oh. to play and which guy wants to win versus the guy that's oh, like. Yeah, we don't want to break that list out. Yeah, no, we do not. And we had guys that would calculate their batting average on the way down to first, right? Yeah. You know, they hit a two hopper to the shorts up and they're running as hard as they can. They're like, oh my God, if he makes this play, I'm going to be 0 for 2 and then my batting average is going to be 303. You're like, wait a second, how can you mm-hmm. do that all in a split second? But there are guys <laughs> like that. And those are the guys I'm kind of talking about that may or may not be softer than others. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in this day and age with sports, you can eliminate a ton of problems and a, a ton of lost money by just kind of getting your ear to the ground and being a little more effective, as you just said. I mean, if these are like turnovers, I mean, if you're going to be without McCaffrey for a while, now football is a completely different uh, animal when it comes to that. Yep. But, you know, I bet Verlander be the first to say that some of his injuries this year, um, whether it be his leg injury or his arm injury, just caused by wear and tear over time as well. So, you know, yeah. there's an age factor and all that. But uh, anyway, I just thought about it last week when we talked about the uh, injuries or turnovers there's one thing to put a good squad together and uh, get them on the field. But as you said, you can't make the club in the tub. And when your best players are oh, yeah. all in the tub, 
then, you know, that explains a lot of why the Astros are uh, limping into the playoffs, I believe, with the way the uh, the IR is gone. I say the oh, IR man. for them, but the uh, injured list. So anyway, that's all I got nope. for what will Tuttle say. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, anybody have any feedback on that? That'd be, I'd be curious to hear. But that, to me, is, uh, is something that kind of needs to be next level. I agree. All right. <clears throat> My turn. Blums. Say it. Say it. Blums blasts. Yeah. Oh, I forgot something about the NFL. It actually just came across the wire. Uh-huh. Uh, what's the owner of the Patriots name? Bob Kraft? Oh, yeah. Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft. Okay. He got off. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think he got off more than once based on the report. It sounds like he went there three <laughs> days in a row. But uh, oh, Stop. Yeah. I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist. Nice. Anyways. On a, on a, so on Blum's Blast, I'm going to do something that I used to do with the girls. I probably should start doing this again. Is uh, You sit around the table and you say, okay, high, low, you go. And uh, we'd go around the table and say what our highs and lows were. I've got a high. Nice. In the category, in the Lone Star Emmy Awards, in the category of sports event slash game, live slash unedited, guess who's taking home an Emmy? What? You, this guy, our this podcast, guy. we got to put that on the title. Forget title sponsors. Yes, we love World's Strongest Man CBD and Emmy St. Award Arnold, winner. but we got to put the Emmy Award winner. And we could just put in parentheses, Lone Star, like non-edited sporting event, like just small letters. Small. E- Emmy with an asterisk. We have the year of the asterisk. <laughs> there we go. What an Emmy yeah, asterisk <laughs> from the Lone Star. You know, anyway, he that's won a fantastic. Emmy. Was that, a, was that you specifically as a sports No, it was a, it was a you team and effort. And, okay, good. No, it was a team effort. And that probably makes it that much more special. But this is like the first broadcasting award that I'm getting. And I don't care if it's a Lone Star Emmy just in the state of Texas, by God, it's coming in the shape of an Emmy. And I will have that nice. thing somewhere. Hey, I, I need to build like right a stand right there. Here. Yeah, right over your right shoulder, I would think. I actually might just put it on my lap and caress it the entire time we're doing our next podcast or whenever I get it. You should put it on top of your printer and that way Corey won't come in and do any printing or copying. <laughs> exactly. over there. Just Shut put it, it down, right there. Like, yeah. You can see it perfectly. Sorry. Yeah. So Dude, con- congratulations. I'm glad, um, I'm glad to hear about that. And, and, and of course, as you always would, it's a team effort. So oh, as man. you said, it's a, yeah. but I, I am now, I am now awards for podcasts. How do we not? Get no, no. That? I mean, I'm just saying I'm like permanently joined with this Emmy award winner. Like, <laughs> I feel like I should take a picture and put it here and go, Hey, my, my co-host who won an Emmy. Yeah, my co-host. I know a guy. Yeah. So anyway, that's oh, fantastic. Man. Uh, right. th- that's pretty, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Julia Morales. I think she's got two or three now. Our producer oh. has something like a TK get, this is his third one. This is my first. So that's why oh. it's extra special to me. It's new. Number one for me. And uh, I'm excited about that. So awesome. eventually, if you're watching the video podcast on our social notion network, you will eventually see, well, I'm sure on my social media too, well, you will definitely see a picture of me with my Emmy award. Nice. Um, but all of that enjoyment uh, and excitement, I've got to come back with a low. All right. And high and low. I like that. Maybe we'll make Blum's Blast or maybe we'll actually yeah. have a high low segment moving forward because uh, we do the same thing at dinner. It's Good. typically, and sorry to interrupt you before you get to your low, but I'm, nah, I'm an dude, optimist. I'm an optimist. I don't want to hear too many lows. I'm going to try and get you off your topic here. But uh, in our house, instead of doing high low, we do um, um, like, hey, what was the best part of your day? What was the worst mm-hmm. part of your day? Or, or something along those lines. But now it's turned into like the girls, my twin girls are 11 and my son's 15. 
and they needle each other like into dinner, like who set the table to do this? And so my one daughter will sit down and go, thank you for making such a wonderful dinner. Tyler, what was your favorite part of the day? But it's got such a bite to the question. So it's, it's high low, but it's like, yeah, we don't really want to hear the answer, but I'm going to start the conversation (laughs) high low. So anyway, we'll just lead into that. Well, having four girls in the family, I know all about psychological warfare. It is intense. (laughs) It is intense. Um, But the low for me uh, is the realization that the end of the season is here and it's been an interesting season. But the thing that hurts for me the most is this weekend or the first round of the playoffs or however long the Astros go in the, in the postseason, this is going to be the last time that we see some of these guys in an Astros uniform. Justin Verlander's having Tommy John surgery, so that takes him out of next year, which would be the final year of his contract. So he will recover from Tommy John as an Astro, eventually become a free agent at the end of 2021. So the 2021 uh, season uh, is, is a harsh reality coming with it, with Verlander not being in it. Osuna, the closer, he has his elbow issues. He may not be back next year. And then these are the ones that hurt the most, probably the free agents. So you've got George Springer, Michael Brantley, Josh Reddick, Yuli Gurriel, free agents coming up. And George Springer's been a big, big, uh, big fan in our house, or he's been a big player in our house. We've been big fans of him in our house. Personally, I love George to death. Whatever he does is going to be successful at because he's an amazing dude and a great ball player. Michael Brantley, I'm going to miss the hell out of his swing if he doesn't sign the contract and come back here. Uh, Josh Reddick, a lot of fun to watch. And then Yuli Gurriel. But uh, these are some, some, some things that, as an Astro fan, you definitely lows for this weekend as we finish this thing off. That's the entire team, dude. I mean, That's I know Correa and Altuve and Bregman aren't <laughs> in there. Like, but yeah, yeah, I mean, the guys that won the World Series there, right? Correa, yep. or not Correa, I'm sorry, but uh, Gurriel and and um, Reddick and gosh, I mean, that's too many guys. I mean, we talk about pitching and defense, Verlander and Asuna may, you know, they weren't really contributing this year, but the heart of that lineup with Brantley and Springer and, and oh, uh, Guriel, I mean, yeah, that's, they're There's all free weights. agents at the end of this year. Yeah. At the end of this year, Springer, yeah. Brantley, Guriel and Reddick yeah. have the potential of playing their last games in a national uniform this weekend. So, so James Click, uh, has his work cut out for him and it will oh, really man. be interesting. I mean, I, as of watching from afar and knowing mm-hmm. you and AJ and some guys that have been involved kind of along this path when they were losing a hundred games to when they were winning a hundred games. Um, I know the Astros fans and many of the listeners, this podcast are hoping we don't have that Valley before we have the peak oh, again, man. but, uh, but there's a lot of uncertainty. There is a lot of uncertainty, unfortunately. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. And I just wanted to leave the fans who are listening to our podcast. We, uh, we continue and love the appreciation that you give us. Make sure that you're downloading, subscribing, rating, reviewing, because the more you do that, the better we, uh, we look in the podcast world and maybe ramp up and win a podcast award someday with all of the, all of the subscriptions that we get and all the rating and reviewing that we get from the fans at home. So make sure you do that and pass along to your friends and family because we're also on YouTube on the Social Nostra Network. And, you know, we record this podcast just with the computer in front of us, and I'm staring at Tuttle's lovely face, but we know the fans are out there. It's a little bit different for guys on the field, and I just want to give fans who watch baseball or football, give them a little bit of love and help them understand that these guys have a hard time functioning and playing at their peak without you on the field. And Ty Cobb actually said it the best. The crowd makes the ball game. 
And I firmly agree with that. George Springer had an interview just recently where he said he's missing the fans. It's a shame that he is going to have to end his Astro career without having the fans in there to show that appreciation. And I said it on a couple of broadcasts where without the fans in the stands, the Astros really don't have a home. It's been rough for them. You're starting to see it wear on them a little bit, and that's kind of why they're limping into the playoffs. But just fans at home, no matter what team you're cheering for, they greatly miss you, and they greatly need you back, and they continue to just love and adore the support you guys give them. But that's, uh, that's what I've got for the end of uh, the podcast. I'll let you take care of the real business. Well, Blumert, uh, I appreciate you saying that. You're bringing a tear to my eye. I think uh, going back as far as I can remember, the fans obviously created the atmosphere and the environment, and I can only uh, uh, sympathize, I guess, or empathize with folks, like you said, Springer, Brantley. Brantley may come back, but, you know, I mean, these guys, you see them often when they have a long or um, lauded career with a team like uh, Springer did that one year winning the MVP for the World Series. They would certainly give him a standing ovation and, you know, bring a tear to his eye by uh by their enthusiasm and what they do so i appreciate you sharing that with me because that that gets lost on me i'm not in the astros world day to day um i did want to go back to our i wrote down a couple words when we were talking about being pessimist or optimist i said piss optimist so maybe a piss optimist is the word and it made me think of arrested development so hopefully we'll leave everybody (laughs) with a smile and i don't know if you remember the never nude right jeffrey ross on there he was uh going to a special um like group that he wanted to be certified with and that was analyst therapists. So the analyst therapists were called analrapists and he put that on his card, his business card. So he was handing it around saying, no, 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 I'm not just a therapist or an analyst. I'm an analrapist, which is uh, an analyst therapist. Yes. And he had it on his business card. So a pest optimist may not be as bad as an analrapist, but dude, it was really funny. And you know, let's leave everybody with a smile. As you said, I'll be here all week. I'm stealing jokes from uh, hey, from Ron Howard. Um, we again want to give a shout out. I'm wearing my military uh, grade hat here, but shout out to our uh, our first responders and our military around the world. Um, you know, kind of in spite of or despite COVID, uh, we know you're out there. We know that you're doing things that we are not always capable of doing or willing to do. And uh, we appreciate the freedom that we have even though we're uh, kind of self-quarantining in our homes, at least in California. So again, shout out to first responders, um, emergency services, and military service uh, members around the world. We really appreciate you greatly uh, and know that you're there even when we're not aware that you're there, right? Like the sheepdog. So um, anyway, that's all I got to say, Blummer. Um, We encourage everybody to get after it and believe it. And I don't know if you want to finish. Is that it? All right. Get after it. Believe it. I'm done.